the class is better than no class, I guess. So, yay! Three extra points for everybody here today, right? We get that automatically, never mind. But you got three for signing in. That, that is extra credit now. The attendance actually has been extra credit for the last week, so it's actually adding to your grade because you're already maxed out at 120 points as possible. So, number of people have actually pushed up over 120 and gotten a little bit of extra credit. Um, due today, homework eight. By 6 o'clock tomorrow, the earlier you get it in, the better, because I'm going to try to get them graded as quick as I can. But, of course, we'll still have till tomorrow. I will get. I will take any of them. I'll grade the rest tomorrow. Um, you will notice, let's see, quiz 8. Sorry, quiz 8 is also today in class. That will be at the end of the lecture. And iTunes quiz 4 will be available. I haven't copied it over into your class yet, but I'll do that probably while you're doing the lab. I got the other class ready in case anybody wanted to run out of class and go do, and go do it immediately. You will notice once I put those up there that, well, Squirm Effect Quiz 8, but Quiz 4, iTunes Quiz 4, when I put it up there, you'll automatically have a zero grade on it. Don't let it worry you. It'll, if you take it, it, that zero will go away and be replaced by whatever score you get. But I put it as a zero because once I, start, once I tell D2L to drop grades, it does all sorts of odd things if there's, not an if there, if there's no grade included in it. So I automatically give you a zero. It's automatically graded. If you get a 6, the 0 goes away and it turns into a 6. If you get a 12, the 0 goes away and it turns into a 12. So don't worry about it. If you don't end up taking it by the final, then it will obviously stay a 0. But it will get dropped. Two of the quizzes will end up getting dropped. So you will notice that on there. Don't let it that it says you have a 0 on it. Worry you. You can still take it any time through the final exam. Final exam Wednesday. So you get the day off Monday, and then, at least for me, and then Wednesday you come back and get the final, and as I promise, I do have a information sheet for the final for you here. So there's that. Uh, you have to ignore some of this information. Instead <coughs> of making two separate sheets, I made one sheet for the entire, for both of my classes. So some, some is for 103, some is for 104. But I specified what, what it means for each one. So essentially, the final is broken up into three parts. The first part is divided as states down in the middle there, 12 true false, 16 multiple choice, 8 fill-ins, 8 essays, points assigned as mentioned there. And those are all questions from your previous exam. The most I did was change a wording if I thought something was unclear. So I didn't try to change the intent of them or anything else. I didn't try to do anything tricky that I changed, you know, one word on one that you'd memorize the question. So they are straight from your previous exam, so study those first four exams. Part two is the material on the last three chapters, 16, 17, and 18, that are since the fourth exam. Questions are split up in the same exact same style as I did the others, 12 true false, 16 multiple choice, eight fill-ins, and eight essays. On the eight essays, this time it's choose five of them, and that ends up makes the points work out exactly. So you choose five of them, they're worth four points, those, those are worth four points each. Part three, extra credit. Yay! Um, there are 15 true-false questions. Well, we like those kinds of extra credits because you got a 50-50 chance even if you don't know. There is one question from each chapter um, picked out semi-randomly. I mean, I looked at them. I did look for some that I thought would be a little bit tougher. So I didn't just make them very easy questions, but and they're not necessarily things that I went over in great detail. They were covered, but maybe you know offhandedly or barely mentioned. So, but there's 15 of them, so you can get 15 extra points. So there's 200 points 
uh, 100 points on each part, each part one and part two, and then 15 extra points. So anything you get right there, please guess on them. I always hate when people leave the extra credits blank. It's like, oh, I didn't know that one, whether it was true or false. Well, guess, 50-50 chance. You might get a point or you might, might not hurt you. I don't penalize you for the wrong one. You do have the two hours to complete the exam. I really expect that everybody will be done with it before that. You're welcome to stay. I won't kick you out of the room until another class is coming in. So unless another class is coming in and needs the room for their final at, you know, 1130 or whenever the next exam is, you know, if you want a few more minutes to stick around, I won't, I won't kick you out. If you just want to finish it and get out of here and not have to look at me again, that's, you know, your, choi your choice as well. So don't worry about, don't, don't feel the time pressure on it. You do have the sheets that I gave you, and I think everybody has one now that I handed out last time, at least that everybody will in a second. There we go. That is the summary questions from 16, 17, and 18. You are welcome to write any notes you want on those and bring those back and use that for the final. No books, no other notes, no other papers, but that specific page that I, those pages that I gave you, you can write any information from those chapters, any other terms, and anything else you want to remember for the final that you feel like you want to have on there. You can have that there. Again, most of it, I find, is that it gives you that confidence that you've actually gone through and written the material, so sometimes you don't even need to go back to refer to it, but you have it there. If something gets blank, you'll have that reference to go back to. And grades, I expect that you'll have final grades sometime Wednesday afternoon. I expect everything is graded. If you've looked in the grade book, everything is graded except for homework eight, quiz eight, and iTunes quiz four and the final exam. Everything else is up to, and the lab we're doing today. But I expect to grade the quiz, quiz eight, the lab I expect to grade before I leave today. I'm gonna try to get those done and just have it all done for you. So everything will be up there. If you turn in, turn in homework eight, I'll grade them as they go. So I'll try to have those done early this weekend. So you'll have full grades, you'll know exactly where you stand going into the, into the final exam. And iTunes quiz four, of course, is already averaged in with a zero. If you take it, it'll help you. If you don't take it, it's not gonna, it's not gonna hurt you at all. Questions? picture of the day for today, which is the world. So uh, interesting you're seeing here, a couple things you notice. First of all, there's absolutely no clouds visible. So when was this taken? You know, when do you ever have no clouds anywhere on the surface of the earth? Well, you don't. There's always clouds someplace around. Um, so this was actually stitched together from a number of different images. If you didn't get it from the clouds, you might have got it from the fact that it's nighttime all over the world at once. So there's no daytime anywhere. Where's, where's the, what, what part of the sun is being, what part of the, where's the sun illuminating part of the earth? You know, it's not nighttime in the U.S. and in China at the same time. So you might have gotten it, from, gotten it from that as, as well. It's actually a number of different images that were stitched together to sort of remove the clouds and just show you what does the earth look like at night if you could look, you know, at the entire earth at once. And what you really see is what you're seeing is what, where, where are the people? So where are people concentrated? Where are the big cities? And you notice, you know, the eastern half of the United States is lit up, you know, like a nice Christmas tree for the time of year here. The whole eastern part, you know, even, even a little bit west of the Mississippi out into Texas here, very bright. Western part, not quite so much. A little, little bit emptier out there until you get out to the west coast. Europe, um, especially in England there and, what, into Germany and northern France, down into Italy, very, very bright. Um, China, Japan, parts of Japan, extremely bright. Uh, what, Korea, a little bit on Korea there as well. 
at least the southern half of Korea, you notice the northern half is quite dark. So you can tell really the difference in terms of industrialization areas. You can see where, you know, where is the industrial areas on the earth. Africa, lots of Africa, Central Africa is very dark. Lots of South Southern America, the Central Park and the Amazon basin there is very dark. Um, certainly the desert in Africa, the Sahara Desert, except that you do, you see the Nile River, right? Does the Nile River stand out? If, you're, if, you're, if you know, you know geography, there's your Nile River right there, the delta right up there. And then you can actually see the river tracing down a good ways through Egypt. And that's because that's, you know, that's where the habitable area is in Egypt, right? You know, you have to be pretty close to the river. If you're too far away, it's all just pure desert, and you're not going to have a lot of people or any big cities. So you see a, see a little bit of that sort of concentrating where the, where the people and where the, you know, industrial civilizations are. It also tells you, you know, where you might want to put a telescope in part. Not completely. You can't just say, oh, it's a real dark area. Let's put a telescope there, right? Put a dark Antarctica. It's completely dark. We can put a telescope down there, except that six months of the year you wouldn't be able to use it. Be nice for those other six months, but it's not going to do much of an optical telescope in Antarctica for that long. If you're in the middle of some of the other areas, some of the other areas don't have weather that would be conducive to a telescope, right? You're not, you want dry areas, so being in the uh, Amazon rainforest, not going to be the pl best area to probably put a, put a telescope. So, but some of the nice areas that are used, uh, the southern coast, uh, western coast of South America, in Chile, there are a lot of telescopes down there. Western part of the U.S., down Arizona, New Mexico, have a good number of telescopes. Parts of Australia over here, where it's relatively dark, have some nice telescopes. But as a different comparison to where they were put 100 years ago, 100 years ago, you put the telescope where the astronomers worked. Well, the astronomers worked at the big cities, right? They worked at the big cities, so there were telescopes just outside of Chicago and just outside of Los Angeles and, you know, not very useful anymore. 150 years ago, that wasn't such a big problem. 100 years ago, still not horrible problem. Nowadays, what do you expect you can see if you're in downtown Chicago looking up at night? You see the full moon if it's there, maybe? You know, you might see Venus if it's out. You're not going to see a lot of, you know, if you look at Orion, you're going to see a handful of stars. You're going to see one of those very lowest magnitude uh, images that we did from, the, from that uh, light pollution lab. So it gives you a little bit of an idea of, you know, what just what the world looks like if you could look at it at night and sort of traces out where the, where the, light, where the light goes. Questions? Okay, good. All righty. Well, we have a little bit left to cover. Almost done. Worked out very good. Nope, we don't want to do that, do we? That's not this class. Let's do this class instead. There we go. Worked out very good this class. I don't know how I timed it so good. I've got to try to do it again, but we're actually getting through things. And I felt like we actually had a little bit of time that I didn't have to try to rush. Usually I end up trying to rush through the last bits of the last bits of the class, rush through life in the universe. Hate to rush through cosmology, but I actually was able to take you know, like an extra lecture on cosmology and probably two extra ones on life in the universe. So we've done, done pretty good this time. So I'll get to get that in a little bit more detail. Unfortunately, my 103 class got about halfway through their little bit on life in the universe, and I had to stop when they ran out of time. So um, we were talking about last time, the last component of the Drake equation was how long does the civilization last? That was the biggest problem, biggest, hardest number to be able to determine. 
And that's what our lab is today, is not to determine that number, but to go through and do some calculations involving the Drake equation to see you know, how many civilizations are out there. And so the kind of numbers that you can get. And honestly, you can get about any number you want based on the numbers you put in. Because, especially because this last number is very unknown. I can't tell you if the average, civil average lifetime of a technological civilization is 50 years, and we're on the long side already, or is it 5 million years, and you know, we haven't, you know, we're just we're little tiny babies. We barely even started. So we don't know. We can't even have, we have an example of where life is formed. We know life can form because we're here, right? If we weren't here, we wouldn't have had, there would be no, there wouldn't be any. You know, there would be no, wouldn't be any class. No final exam next week in that case, then. But we don't know. We know on some of them at least that it has happened. We don't know how, how likely it is to happen. And the other thing I told you was that we did, we were, we did I gave you very optimistic estimates on that first, on those first ones. You know, we said, well, yeah, life is going to form all the time. If the conditions are right, life will form. If life forms, it's going to become intelligent. If it becomes intelligent, it's going to become technological. If it becomes technological, it's going to be, you know, it's going to last for how long is it going to last? That's the big question. And what does that tell us? So if we make some estimates, if we say that the average civilization is a million years, let's be, we've been optimistic, let's keep being optimistic. You know, we're just getting started a million years from now, we'll come back, we'll still, we'll, we'll be here. Or at least hundreds of thousands of years from now. That means there'd be a million civilizations in our galaxy. A lot, right? All these different people to talk to. So you start thinking about how big our galaxy is. Even if there's a million civilizations just like us in the galaxy, that means, on average, if they're spread out throughout the galaxy uniformly, makes sense. Why are there more here or less here? Your first guess would be that they're spread out uniformly. They're going to be about 100 light years apart. That's there's a million civilizations in the galaxy. So that means if we want to talk to them, we send them a signal. Takes 100 years to get there. They answer it, send it back. Takes another 200 years to talk. So no instantaneous communication. So even if it's a million, million civilizations or civilizations lasting a million years there'd be a million in our galaxy they're still going to be very hard to do any kind of direct communication could we still detect signals yes there are ways we could detect signals perhaps from the civilization are there ways we could communicate but nothing that's going to be you know talking back and forth it's much too long you know 200 years from now if we sent that signal to the near if this is correct and we sent that signal to the nearest civilization we're all going to be long gone before it comes back. So it's not something where you're going to be easy, uh, an easy way to be able to communicate. And that, again, that's, that's saying that if there is, that's an average of 100 light years. Maybe in our case we're lucky and there's one only 30 light years away. Maybe we're unlucky and it's 300 light years away. That would just be you know, an average statistically over the entire, if they're spread out exactly uniformly throughout the entire galaxy. So could be could be much larger than that could be much smaller could there be an intelligent civilization around alpha centauri and we only have to wait eight years so we can send them the signal today and in 2020 we get an answer or 2021 now because there's a little over four a little over eight light years eight years it would take to get back and forth here so how have we communicated well there's one example pioneer 10 which is heading out into interstellar space now actually has a plaque here sort of representing who we are there's a sketch of a man and a woman, and done to scale, this is actually the spacecraft itself, the spacecraft antenna. <coughs> so to give it a scale of how, about how, how big, that big we are, 
here's where we came from, telling them exactly where we came from. Here's our star, and here's the planets. Not everything's not to scale in this case, but you know, here's where this spacecraft came from. It came from Earth, and here's all of these other planets, you know, small ones, big ones. Done long enough ago that Pluto was in there, so Pluto was included as a pl as a planet. A um, couple other things pointed out there: the nice little googly eyes at the top. Not meant to be somebody watching you. That's actually meant to be the hydrogen molecule. Two hydrogen atoms with a proton in the middle and an electron. And if you notice, there's a little, these are not just straight lines. There's actually a dot on each one. There's a dot at the top of this one, the top of this one, the top of this one, and the bottom of this one. If you recall when we talked about studying interstellar gas, we looked at that 21 centimeter line of hydrogen. That's representing it. So while it looks like two big cat eyes staring at you or something, it isn't. It's actually representing that we think that's something that another civilization would recognize as important. You know, if they're completely different than us, the, the way we look is probably not going to mean much to them. But a hydrogen atom is the same here as it is anywhere in the universe. And a civilization that is intelligent enough to be able to decode this would probably be able to understand that as, you know, the transition that causes that very strong hydrogen line that we see. The other thing that's here is coded a bunch of a number of pulsars that are visible. So it's actually pulsars, it's from the Earth, they're relative distances, and actually there's binary encoded in here, there's binary encoded in here for distances and sizes, there's binary encoded here for the period, how long they are. Binary code being something that we think that another civilization would recognize. Might not recognize our decimal code or any of our numbers, but a binary, you know, on and off is something that we think that any civilization would likely be able to recognize. So that sort of identifies, again, where we are relative to all these pulsars. So essentially, we've told the universe where we are. Only thing is, this thing is going so slowly, it's, not, it's nowhere near the nearest star, and you've got tens of thousands of years before it gets even close to there. So, I mean, it's traveling faster than anything we can imagine, but it's still you're going to take tens of thousands of years to travel to that. But we've told them exactly where we are. Here's where we came from. We're from this planet. Here's the center and all that. You can identify all these pulsars. You can track down exactly where we are. So similar ones were sent. There's one that was sent with a, a record that had near in encoded into it um, different types of music and different recordings from people that were sent, that were sent out as, w as well. So we've sent a lot of information out there. It's very slow going. If we're going to try to communicate this way, it takes tens of thousands of years. And then unless this civilization is immensely more advanced and can travel back here instantly or very quickly, you know, much faster than light, you know, if they're going to send back the same way, we're going to wait another 50,000 years to get, the to get a response back. Now, we also can communicate a little bit easier through radio waves. We do that purposefully and not purposefully. We've been sending out radio signals for... Not quite a hundred, almost, almost a hundred years now. So they're traveling out in space. So our radio signals have gotten out to the area of about a hundred light years away. So anything further than that, looking at us, if it's more than a hundred light years away, our signals haven't gotten there yet, and they're not going to have any clue. They could look at us, and we're just nice and quiet in the radio, nothing special. Closer, they do start to be able to detect that. Now, what they detect is not the signals, so it's not that they're going to see our, you know, TV shows from the 1950s if they're 50 light years away, and they're not going to hear our radio broadcasts from the 1920s and 30s, 
if they're that far away, they're going to hear more. You're going to get just like the carrier signals. The carrier waves are what are strong enough to actually be detected a little bit further away. But if we did that and you looked for where all the radio signals are coming from, you'd actually be able to detect a very irregular uh, intensity from it. You'd notice that if you were looking at this object, you'd see the radio intensity varying, getting very low here, then shooting up. What happened there? Well, all of a sudden, you're getting, the, you're getting the rising or setting of the North American East Coast and Western Europe, where most of the radio transmitters have been. So when you know, all the radio broadcasts and uh, TV broadcasts from New York, right, a lot of them are broadcast from there. When that rises up over the horizon, you're going to get a big spike in the signal because that's going to be right easily detectable. So you're going to get very strong ones as those rise, and then again, as they're setting where the shifts are significant, where the Doppler shifts are significant as it's coming strongly towards or away from us. So we're going to see that very strongly. Other ones are not going to be near as big. You know, Australia, you're not going to notice that mu as much. But you can certainly be able to see big spikes when certain parts of the Earth are just rising or setting as seen from this distant observer. So they would be able to detect some kind of signal if they were looking at it, if they're close enough. So yes, if they're on Alpha Centauri, they'd be able to detect this kind of signal. They'd be able to detect that we're emitting more radio waves in a very unusual pattern, something that would look like not a pulsar where it's beep, 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 beep. Yes, sir? I thought, yeah. You would need much more equipment and much, it would be much weaker signals. You'd have to have a lot, the easy thing to detect is the carrier wave. So could it be done if they had incredible technology that was you know, infinitely better than our own? Possibly they really could do, do that. But it would take a lot more technology. We wouldn't be able to detect that from another civilization. So, but this is indirect. So this is not something we're necessarily trying to communicate. We've just been doing it for hundreds of years. A hundred, hundreds of years. For almost a hundred years now with radio, with radio waves. Now if we were going to really look for signals, we have to think of um, where we're going to send them? How are we going to send these signals to another civilization? And what you know, what frequency are we going to use? Because if we send them at this frequency, and somebody's listening in another frequency, doesn't do much good, right? We send them on, you know, whatever radio station, you know, send it that. Or you, but if you're listening, if you have it tuned to one radio station, you don't hear anything that's going on on the other one. So if they're broadcasting on that other radio station, you're not going to hear it. So where are we going to decide? Where is going to be the best area? of the radio spectrum to look. That's what this yucky looking graph is trying to show you. <laughs> what it says is that when you look out here, you get some problems in different areas. The galaxy, the background of the galaxy gets very, very strong at the very lowest frequencies. So there's very, very low frequencies, a lot of noise from the galaxy, and that would overwhelm signals. So why would someone try to, if you're trying to communicate with someone, why are you going to send through all the noise? You're not going to send through a noisy area. You get a lot of noise and absorption by different molecules, which exist throughout the galaxy as you go up towards the very um, higher frequencies. So you don't think that you're going to do it there. What they tend to look at is what is called the water hole, which is that hydrogen emission at 21 centimeters and the hydroxyl emission, the OH molecule, a little bit further off of that. It's one of the lowest noise areas of the of the, in the galaxy, so there's lowest noise, background noise, and it's something that makes sense because we tend to think of life as needing water. So, oh, well, it needs water, so maybe that's a good place to look. That, again, is you know, our, what we've come up with. 
does it mean that another civilization is going to say, well, no, we don't want to use that. We're going to be listening. We're looking over here or we're broadcasting over here. Certainly we monitor lots of frequencies, but in terms of actually, you know, listening for things or sending signals, we try to go, you know, try to do something that's logical and makes sense. Now, here would be the best part to communicate. That's where we've done a lot of the searches have been concentrated on that, on that range. And it's what's called the water hole, the watering hole, you know, where, where all the civilizations go to meet, right? A good place for the civilizations because there is not the noise overall when you add up this noise and the atmosphere and the cosmic background radiation. That's where everything is about the minimum. So it's about the best place you can possibly go look. Again, if another civilization thinks differently and they're broadcasting somewhere else, then we're not going to necessarily detect that. Here's an example of a radio telescope, uh, the Green Bank one. We probably saw, I think I did a picture of this early on when we talked about radio telescopes. That's about 100 meters across. Um, big telescope, 100 meters, you know, a football. So think about, a f think about turning a football field in a, in a circular, circular football field, but think about being able to turn that very big size telescope, which has been used to search for signals. And here's an example of what you might look for. When you look at the data, this is an artificial one, this isn't the real one. But if there was a signal encoded in this data, when you look at it this way, it turns out you'd see you know, a, a line going through this. So it would be a, actually a sign of an intelligent, of something, some kind of signal encoded. Could it be intelligent? Could it be a pulsar or something like that? We've never found anything to date that would not be easily explained by something else. So no signs of signals that are actually coming from another civilization has, have as of yet been detected. Could they be? Yeah, could they be on their way? You know, could it be arriving tomorrow? Certainly possible. We have to wait for the signal to get there. So if it was on Alpha Centauri and it was sent four years ago, Alpha Centauri is about 4.3 light years away, so we still have 0.3 years left or, you know, a couple months to wait before it gets here. If it was sent, you know, just this year and from Alpha Centauri, just now, then we still got to wait four years. And it'll be 2017 before we actually get it. So big thing is the, t is the timing. So finishing up here, chapter 18, history of the universe. We divided it into phases. We talked about particles and we talked about the Big Bang. So how did we go from particles into bigger particles, into galaxies, into stars, into planets? We sort of talked about all that. And then this last chapter, we talked about chemicals. So how do we go through the chemical formation of life, the Uri experiment, biological, how did we go and change when we formed those, when we finally formed those very simplest organisms? How did we go through that? And cultural. How did we go up into the culture and actually changing the, um, change, get, getting into a technological civilization, which is not necessarily needed. Do we need to form, is life going to form a technological civilization? That's not necessarily the case. So, in terms of communicating, we're only going to communicate one if it goes through this entire process of cosmic evolution that we've gone through. A civilization that stops somewhere along the line or stopped at, you know, in our time, 1850, we're not going to be able to communicate with. They're never going to be able to detect. We're never going to be able to, they're not going to send any signals and we're never going to be able to detect anything because nothing that they do heads out into space. What is a living organism? It should be able to react to its environment, grow, takes in nutrients, reproduce, and evolve. So those are some of just the very basics that we think anything that's living should be able to do. Amino acids, 
We know that they were, a were able to form them very easily based on the conditions that we think were present on the early Earth or even in space. So the amino acids, the building blocks of life, form very easily. The big thing, again, is how easily this goes from amino acids into the very simplest cells. So that's the big question, is how easy it is it to get to make that last jump. Where are we going to find life? Well, we know, we know Earth. We got one. We know, we know there is life here. Um, other places that might, show, might see it are Mars, Europa, Titan, a couple other areas um, that are possibilities. Nothing has been found there, but those are probably the best bets within the solar system. Drake equation, which we looked at last time and we'll be looking at again for lab today, has to do with counting the number of civilizations. So we can go through, tell you all the numbers in the equation. Guess what? We know how many intelligent civilizations they are. Big problem with it was that we don't know the values for all those numbers. I can give you numbers and I can say, well, maybe this one's a half. But it could just as likely be 1. It could just as likely be 0. 0.0001. And those are all equally valid numbers. And it makes a big difference depending on what, you, what numbers you put in there. It can, can give you any number between you know, uh, 1 billionth of a civilization or a billion civilizations. 1 billionth of a civilization means you'd have to search a billion galaxies. We're the one civilization in a billion galaxies. You know, a billion would mean there's a lot here, and that, if that were the case, we'd actually have things a lot closer. We'd actually should have things a lot closer. But even using the very optimistic assumptions that we did, which I thought were pretty optimistic, the next civilization is probably at least hundreds of light years away. So nothing is likely to be close even under optimistic. You have to go up to say the civilization lasts 100 million years or a billion years in order to get things much closer. Finally, we have sent probes out. I showed you the plaque from Pioneer 10 that sort of told, tell the universe where we are. They, they're getting to interstellar space slowly. They're working their way out there. It's a very large distances, and it will take them tens of thousands of years to actually make that travel among the, among the, out to among the stars. We also send out signals uh, accidentally. We leak out radio signals all the time based on just our our radio, um, our radio emissions from the Earth, television signals, uh, radio signals get sent out, and you'd see a periodic pattern. If someone could watch those from a distant planet, you know, what we'd try to be looking for is some sort of reg regular pattern that is coming from a radio source in the sky. We have not been able to find anything. And then the watering hole, I mentioned that. The water hole is the frequency that occurs right around hydrogen and hydroxyl. It's what we think is a good place to broadcast and seek messages. So a good area that we think would be the area to look for just because it's very low noise and it's right in between these two key frequencies that make up water that we consider water being necessities for life. So it makes sense to do that. Again, whether another civilization thinks the same thing is a good, good question. Oh my, questions. So is there life in the universe? I don't know. <laughs> good, good answer, but that's, that's all I can tell you. Is there, is there likely to be? The universe is a very big place. Is there life somewhere else in the universe? It sure seems likely. I mean, if we say, you know, even if it's one in a billion, well, how many billions of galaxies out there are there? So, I mean, seems like there could be something out there. Is there something close to us? That's a very good question. And one of the problems is that we don't see any. We don't see any life. So is, is there anything close to us Me makes, makes it less likely 
because there are calculations that can be done that say that you know if a civilization is intelligent and is able to colonize the galaxy, it doesn't take a very long time. Even if we were to start expanding out now, you know, and millions of years from now, you know, we'd have colonies all over the galaxy. It doesn't take that long of a time. So wh where is everybody? Or are we the first? You know, are we the first one to reach this level? You know, very good questions that I really can't. Unfortunately, I can't give you an answer for, which has been a common theme for most of the last of this, most of the last of this course. But it's still all all ongoing. So. No questions, no questions? All righty. Well, let's see, 9.33. Let me, let me go ahead and do one other thing. I've got one short video I'm going to show you, which is completely a different topic, but something else I just thought, I thought was interesting that I kind of wanted to share with you. So let me...